And now, a word from our sponsors. Now available on Amazon.com in print and Kindle. From Sweetie Cat Press, the who's who of emerging writers 2021, which includes the bios of 128 modern day writers and seven essays by writing influencers. The bios answer the questions. What do they write? Where do they live? When did they start writing? Why do they write? And how you can find out more about them and more. I'm Christopher Bice. I'm the author of a New Age poetry book called Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. This isn't one of your grandmother's poetry books. Okay, I do some traditional poetry of love, death, and inspirations. But I also write about all the insanity hiding in my mind. Come experience the stories that are fleeing a tortured mind. Ride the wave of emotion and fear. Shed a tear, find the light, or maybe learn to fear the darkness. We're in the final countdown. Look for my book, Escaping the Darkness, coming this June. And tell your grandma to stay away. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Knucklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's sweetiecatpress.com. S-W-E-E-T-Y-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMart.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Bickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. For more information, go to www.MythMart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at MythMart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show.
Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 136. Welcome. have a packed episode for you this week. Not only will we be premiering Abducted by Don DeBrawl, an audio experience, but it is also the review episode. But first and foremost, we have some news to kind of jump through, so let's get that out of the way. First and foremost, MythMart has received their final shipments and is completely in stock with everything. Woohoo! Second bit of news. American Smash is set to launch for July 2nd, and that is right around the corner, and I am not thrilled with how fast this year has moved. Stephanie J. Barty and David K. Montoya will be meeting this week to look at the progress of the 2022. 2022? Uh, it feels weird on my mouth. 2022 publications list, and a fan favorite is expected to receive a Dark Myth publications contract concerning a series that might be found in the magazine, and it will see print this month. Hmm. And a reminder for the top 10 contestants for the open contract challenge that the deadline for chapters is July... Ninth, Again, right around the corner. Uh, and so uh, the final five will be chosen afterwards. Go ahead and email your finished chapter to Walter G. Esselman at opencontractchallenge.com. And also a reminder that advertisers who purchased ad space will be across not only the magazine, but Jay Zuman slash Dark Myth owned websites across the board. So uh, go ahead, and if you need more information, go ahead and send Stephanie an email. All right, and finally, don't forget that the deadline for the World of Myth magazine is always the 15th and launches every 24th of the month. 15th. The 15th. I just want to want to sear it into everybody's minds. And also a reminder to uh, on my own personal note to make sure you ch- check out the the submission form on the website because there are some new rules and regulations to make sure that we are getting top quality content and yeah, we want the best work. So Go ahead and check that out at the website. So we have been talking very exuberantly for the past month about these projects that we have kind of started conceptualizing. And one of those projects is to create an audio experience based on the member of the month's winning story. Was the iconic Don DeBrawls abducted? And I think we were very excited because it is a great story. And uh, not only that, but it was a lot of fun 
to think about in an audio context. And I think it's been a whole new venture trying to trying to think about these stories in a different uh, light. And it's so much fun. So the point of my long little rambling that everybody is absolutely sick of, I'm sure, is we are now going to premiere it. Finally, after a few weeks of working on it, it is the premiere of Abducted by Dawn DeBrawl. Thank you, everybody, for your participation. Uh, this little ditty was written by Dawn DeBrawl, directed by myself, produced by the Jayzo Modcast for the World of Myth and the World of Myth magazine. This is an exclusive deal to showcase these stories in a three-dimensional sense of what could be possible. Taking one writer's vision and another's vision of what they interpret the story as to be. And once again, thank you to all the actors. We have John Bratton as the officer. Tom Islav Krevesil as Lee. We've got our own Jenna as Brianna. Stephanie Barty as the doctor. Rebecca Flores as the alien woman. Myself, I am the narrator, director, composer, and uh, threw a couple of extra voices in there. Thank you to everybody for helping to make this project possible. And please enjoy Abducted by Don DeRaw. Brianna Malcolm was expecting a delivery. She and Lee paid for a baby and the child would be delivered to their doorstep. She knew this was the due date week of the birth mother. The nursery was ready. The agreement with the attorney was the delivery of a healthy child, nothing more. She would get the child, a clean bill of health, along with legal adoption papers. When Brianna told her boss she was adopting a baby, her work was very supportive. The nursery was ready, a very non-committal yellow and green. So any sex they got, what fit the room. Everything was laid out. Diapers, cotton balls, onesies, cans of formula, bottles, rocking chair, cradle, and a crib. Brianna loved to go into the room and sit, looking at the nightlight shining stars onto the ceiling as it played soft lullabies. What baby wouldn't love this room? The attorney had called her at work yesterday, saying labor had started that she shouldn't go too far from home. Brianna punched out for her last day of work for the next two months and came home to wait. Today or tomorrow, she supposed, pacing the floor. Front door. A basket. She picked it up, looking to see if someone had waited around. There was no one. Brianna set the basket on the couch and pulled back the covers. Pink. Everything was pink. They had a girl. Oh, what would Lee think about a little girl? Brianna took the basket down to the nursery, took the baby out, and put her on the dressing table, counted fingers, undressed the baby, seeing the umbilical cord fresh in a clip, counted ten toes, changed the baby's diaper. She was perfect. Putting the precious package in the cradle, she hurried to the kitchen to sterilize the nipples for the bottles and to make formula. She was a mom. Brianna was waiting when her child woke up crying. She entered the nursery, whispering as she approached the crib, lifting the baby while telling her it would be all right. She placed her forefinger near the baby's mouth and brought the bottle to her face. The baby eagerly took the bottle. Brianna contentedly rocked while she fed her. Everything was perfect. Lee came through the door. She had called him to come home, that they had a daughter. Oh, look at her. 
Don't worry, I, I washed up in the kitchen before coming in. Can I hold her? Brianna nodded through her tears of joy. All those hormone shots and invasive tests had produced nothing for them. Adoption was a long wait, but when she found a friend of a friend who specialized in secret adoptions, they jumped at it. The adoption had cost them a fortune, providing prenatal care for the mother, paying for the delivery, and making the child legally theirs. But she was so worth the money. Lee sat down, accepting the baby in his arms. What do we name her? He looked up at his wife. Brianna had been thinking since the baby's arrival. How about a combination of her mother's names, Helen and Anna? How about Hannah? Hannah. I love it. Hannah Banana is such a little monkey. She fell back to sleep. Lee put her in the cradle, turning on the baby monitor. He took the handheld unit with him. Ah, oh, Brianna, we're parents. Lee was all smiles as he handed the monitor to her. We are parents, she said back to him in disbelief. It was a long night. Every three hours, Hannah demanded to be fed and changed. Lee took the first shift, Brianna the next. Lee had taken off a few weeks himself so they could get this parenting thing down and bond with their new daughter. New daughter? Brianna beamed when she said that to herself, how long they had waited for this day. At 2.45 in the morning, Brianna walked into the baby's room, surprised that Hannah had rolled over. Her head was up like a baby bird. How could that be? She was a newborn. She flipped on the light. Hannah was on her back, crying like crazy. It must have been the nightlight playing tricks on her eyes. Brianna fed Hannah and changed her. It seemed as if Hannah had grown overnight. She felt good and solid. Lee came in during the feeding. Wow, she's growing fast. Is that normal? Brianna was thinking the same thing. She didn't think this was normal, but she didn't tell this to her husband. Brianna stroked Hannah's face. Hannah bit Brianna's finger, drawing blood. <laughs> Brianna couldn't quite believe what happened. How could the baby have teeth? She'd heard of it, some babies born with teeth. She looked down at her finger and put it in her mouth. She finished feeding Hannah and put her in the cradle. Brianna walked to the bathroom, scrubbed her hands with soap and water. She took a bandage out of the cupboard. It was deep cut, and it hurt. Brianna looked at the clock in the hall as she peeked out the door. It was after 3 a.m. Who would be out there this late ringing her doorbell? She saw a basket on the stoop. Another baby? She looked out into the darkness. How could she tell them they delivered to the wrong house? She put the basket on the couch, pulled back the covers in the basket. Everything was blue. A boy? Something was wrong. They couldn't afford two children. What was going on? Who was that? What is that? Lee, it's another baby. There must be some mistake. Lee pulled back the basket, counting fingers. It's a boy. He said, after pulling out the baby's clothes. We should call the attorney tomorrow. I can't believe they would screw up this bad. Brianna fed the child and put him in the crib. He looked so tiny. She left to get some sleep. She called the attorney earlier the next morning. His assistant said he was on another call, but would get right back to her. Brianna was so glad Lee had taken off. They were both busy changing, bathing, feeding the new babies. They were afraid. What if they had bonded with the wrong child? Were they supposed to get the boy or the girl? Hello, Brianna. Did you get your little guy last night? We could finish the paperwork. Do you have a name? Brianna told him they got a little boy last night. 
but the day before, they'd gotten a little girl. That's impossible. The mother your child delivered yesterday afternoon. Well, there must be some mistake. We have two babies. Are you saying the boy child is ours? Brianna wanted to cry. It had only been two nights, but she had fallen for Hannah. The baby boy is the baby you've received from us. I I have no idea who the other child is. I will get to the bottom of this. In the meantime, will you accept the boy? Of course we will. Please get this straightened out for us. Brianna put the phone down. Lee was standing next to her, holding his son. This is our son? Brianna nodded. Yes. How could she turn away from her daughter? She was here first. How could the agency make such a horrible screw-up? She started to cry. Lee put his arm around her. Don't. Maybe we can keep both. It's their mistake. Brianna went to go get her. Lee! When he came into the nursery, he handed the boy to Brianna, and he tried to extricate Hannah, who had outgrown the cradle. Her arms and legs went through the bars, and she was stuck in the bed. There is something not right. Lee put Hannah on the changing table. She was fine. The newborn-sized diapers didn't fit her. Luckily, the sample pack had some larger diapers. She's into the 12 to 15 pound diapers. He said as he took the bottle from Brianna. Hannah nursed as Lee rocked her back and forth in rocker. Ouch! Lee, what? She bit me! Brianna put her son in the cradle and took her daughter while Lee went to wash the bite. Brianna pulled down Hannah's lip. A row of razor-edged teeth filled her mouth. Brianna gasped. Hannah had grown a full set of teeth last night. Hannah was not a normal baby. Brianna shivered. She was afraid of her daughter. Brianna was still holding Hannah when she answered the door. Oh, thank God you have her. Excuse me? Brianna looked at the couple in her doorway. They didn't appear to be human though they could pass her human for a distance. The size of them, both well over six feet. The woman smiled, her teeth were rows of sharp, razor-edged points, just like the ones in Hannah's mouth. I'm sorry, we are the Marks, and our daughter was delivered to the wrong house. As soon as we found out about the mistake, we came. The attorney called us this morning. What? Brianna held Hannah to her tighter. Lee! Here's the car of our adoption attorney. Brianna saw the same business card that she possessed. Thank you for taking such good care of her. Before Brianna could say a word, the large woman snatched the baby out of her hands. Hannah was now the size of an 18th month old. Lee came up behind his wife. What's going on here? Lee could see how the baby stopped crying as it snuggled into its mother's arms. You can't do that. This is our daughter, Hannah. He reached to grab the child from the woman's arms. The new mother screeched an unearthly sound. (coughs) Hannah reared out of her mother's arms, biting Lee's hand, ripping two fingers off. Ah! The couple ran with the baby to a spaceship parked on the front lawn. Lee and Brianna chased them, not far behind when the door closed. They stared in disbelief as they watched the ship hover and fly off. She saw her husband bleeding profusely. Brianna ran into the house, grabbed a dish towel, wrapping it around Lee's hand, trying to stem the flow of blood. We need to go to the hospital. 
What happened to you? Meat grinder. I was making sausage. My hand got pulled in. Needless to say, there are no fingers to bring back to you. The doctor stitched Lee up in the emergency room and gave him a tetanus shot. Cute kid. What's his name? Bradley. Both parents answered at the same time. They glared at one another. The doctor looked at them strangely. He's so new. How old? Born yesterday and, and we're still discussing the names. They hadn't finalized the adoption yet. Wow, he is new. All right, we're almost done here. Uh, we'll get the nurse to come in and discharge you. I'm putting you on an antibiotic and some painkillers. Thanks, doctor. Lee and Brianna turned to one another. Bradley? Where did that name come from? A combination of my name, Lee, and your name, Brianna, just came out. Sorry. They sat in silence waiting for the nurse who came in a short time later. She went through the instructions with Lee. Several officers burst into the room as the nurse left quickly. Brianna and Lee Malcolm, you are under arrest for kidnapping. Wait, what? Call our lawyer. We paid for a legal adoption through Thomas Vangor. Call his office, please. Brianna handed the business card to the officer, who left to make the call. The number has been disconnected. That's impossible. I just talked to the attorney this morning. The two were led out of the room while the woman who gave birth to Bradley came in. Oh my god, you found him! Thank you so much! She scooped the baby out of the carrier, holding him to her. Why are we being arrested? That baby was born here yesterday, taken from the nursery. He was kidnapped. But we're innocent! What about our daughter? Daughter? Yes, the abnormally tall couple took her away in a spaceship. The officer looked at his partner and put his finger up, circling it at his temple, the sign for being crazy. Brianna protested, struggling all the way to the squad. She couldn't believe it. This morning, she and Lee had two children. Now they had none. And they were going to jail. Again, thank you everyone for helping to make this project possible. Thank you to Don for the story and one of her original songs, Lies and Deceptions, was used. Thank you very much, Don, for both. And I am very excited for next month from Stephanie J. Barty. Penance, keep an eye or ear out for that. <laughs> it is time. <laughs> Issue number 97. Oh boy, we are closing in on 100 episodes. I cannot wait. It's going to be terrific. And this issue was another absolute delight. Great, great, great work made it into this episode or this issue. Like I said this is a packed episode, guys. All right, so let's start with Drabble and Flash. Our first story. The Time Traveling Healer, Episode 3, 
by Mr. Jim Bates. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I know I said it last time, but I love Jim's short takes. There is an urgency in the presentation, and my only most teeniest complaint, and it's the usual, is about how spoiled I am and want it all now. <laughs> but patience is important, and Jim certainly knows how to deliver and always make the wait worthwhile. So I absolutely uh, am excited by this entire tale. Excellent work. Absolutely. Jim. Absolutely, Jim. I am very interested to see how Amandi has come about with his abilities. I'm pretty sure. Is that the one who's going to be healing? We'll see. <laughs> Excellent work on that, sir. All right. And our next story, The Witch in the Corner House. By Peggy Gerber. Uh, now, this one is d a delightful little tale of satisfying, <sighs> just satisfying retribution. And I enjoyed it immensely. Just, it, it was silly, but in the right ways and tactful. And it was funny. And I love a good revenge story. <laughs> and like, by the time I was done reading it, like, I wasn't even, like, like smiling ear to ear. It was just that, like, my lips were pursed, my eyes were squinted, and I was just nodding, like, yeah. Right. You know? That was like, <laughs> like a, I love this. That's pretty interesting revenge tale right there. Interesting little ending right there. Especially how they handled the ending. It was mm -hmm. a little, it was a little, they're all nonchalant about it. <laughs> well, I think, it, I, I think maybe I'm just a jerk. I don't know. But, like, I feel like, like, n the nicest of people, you know, you, you reach this point, you care and you care and you care and you put so much effort, effort into these, you know, being mindful of others. And then they're just, like, you can only handle it when there, there is no returned kindness. Right. And I feel like that's the satisfaction because it's, like, it's just, it's that breaking point and, like, nobody cares because why? Why should they care about this person who's been consistently hurting them? <laughs> anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent work on that. All right. And our third story within Drabble and Flash, On the Bridge by Gabriella Balcom. Um, yeah, so Angel and Demon. Angels and Demons, <laughs> I think, is Gabriella's forte. So this was a nice little fixture in that concept. Um, I enjoyed it. She seems to have a recurring theme pop up on this one again. Huh? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if 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 she's working on something of like a, a themed piece, right? Right. Um, because yeah, it's it's a, it's a good little story. Thank you very much. All right, the last elf by Christopher Bice. Uh, gorgeous, stunning, super heartwarming. And it just kind of piles on, I guess you could say, the anxieties and treacheries of combat or battle. And it was just absolutely magnificent. I loved the 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 depth of that and especially just that last statement, which is the title. But it just it it hits you like it punches you. Right. That one's like really visually pleasing on that one right there. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Tooth. And Nail, a love story by Peggy Gerber. Uh, on a roll this week, Peggy. Uh, so look, I get it. Uh, it's gross. But <laughs> it's 
stay with me, people. It's also, like, brutally romantic. And, and I mean, think about it. So the past and the present unifying to create a future. And I mean, like, and also think about, you know, the... <laughs> Sorry, I thought a lot about this story. The longevity of uh, the keratin within your nail. I mean, like your nails, there's a reason they they stay on us even after uh, we begin decomposing. So, you know, there there is something, you know, about the longevity of the nail's existence and the teeth's existence. Teeth? Tooth? Teeth's existence. <laughs> and, and I mean... Okay, I probably am a little biased because I do have a weird mother who kept my baby teeth in a little jar. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought it was a really cool story. And I don't know if that was Peggy's <laughs> intention, but I really, really thought it was gross and cute all at the same time. I thought it was very smart writing from Peggy. I liked it a lot. Excellent work on that. <laughs> all right. Almost seventh by Kate McDonald. I appreciate the idea and the sweetness behind the, I guess you could say horrors of it all. There's something about like kind-hearted, watchful ghosts or spirits or, or presences in the paranormal spectrum uh, that just is such a nice and pleasant thought. And I really enjoy those those narratives um and the idea that we all hope to and and cling on to that our loved ones are never truly gone that they're there to protect us in our most horrific and tragic moments i just thought it was a really beautiful story oh absolutely um you remember that tv show factor fiction you remember that one Mm -mm. had that guy with the beard and comes out and he says i'm gonna have he presents the story the, the audience, and then the audience has to predict, you, the viewer, <laughs> has to predict whether or not that the story was based on fact or complete fiction. Oh. This story reminds me of that to where he says, I have the story. He comes out and he says, I have the story. You're going to have to de- decipher whether or not this is going to be fact or fiction, you know, and then... Uh, it's this one could fit in that series. Thank you very much, <laughs> Kate. <laughs> All right, and now we will jump over to a fantasy, and we have Petra's Tale Part 4 by Timothy Law. I love this venture into Petra's past. I also love seeing how she interacts with varying characters. I think I even made that comment last time. I just love how she interacts with people. She is a delightful character. I have no other way to explain her other than I just, I get happy when... Um, I'm reading about her. She's a great character because there's something about the way Tim has written her that like exudes this wisdom and this peace and this, I guess you could say she's in the right mind of, uh, you know what I mean? Like she is, she is next level because she's not even a human. So she's next level, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think another thing is Tim always blows me away with not only the, the presentation and delivery, but the dialogue throughout the Petra series, because it's perfect. I think I wind up complimenting his writing with the dialogue every episode, and I can't help it because it just flows so naturally. And especially when you're writing fantasy or even historical fiction, anything, 
dialogue can can very easily get warped into something that does not have a good flow that just sounds really weird um that it doesn't sound like it's actually being spoken and tim has achieved that with this fantastical piece and just maintained that that flow of it being believably dictated by somebody so yeah i'm i'm super eager to read more about this ship and its inhabitants and just how the troop will garner passage so i just really really thought this was a great addition you said it all mama thank you very much sir and our final story within the fantasy genre genre is uh, a ranger's tale part seven by jeff r young we are deep in it now, and <laughs> I will not lie. I, the, I, I don't want this to be taken like out of context, but I do. I miss Aaron um, because that whole episode was like anxiety. I was just like my heart was in palpitations reading that episode, and I'm like, if only Aaron were here, <laughs> but he wasn't. Uh, and seriously, that I just that was a really intense chapter, and. Um, it's got the magic man coming through now, oh. coming through with the staff. Hopefully, he's like more of a uh, traditional elemental mage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Just push that in there. Yeah. No, my heart was racing. Like I, r- right after I read that, I was just in a tizzy. It's interesting too, like how Jeff decided to use the mage, and then, then the, in the traditional sense, the mage would call upon the ancient language to be able to wield the um, uh, elemental forces, right? As though it's the language before mm-hmm. Elvish, right? Yeah. As, that's a very interesting move he, he went with. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Jeff is very, very, like Jeff knows what he's doing with fantasy, you know? Um, oh, yeah. This is, this is a writer who is not just kind of, throwing caution to the wind and, and like, hoping for the best. You know, <laughs> like, this is somebody who knows what he's doing, who knows how to present it, and he does it in, in such a way that, like, the environments are never boring, and you're, it, it, it triggers your senses into kind of being in ho- overdrive. And I think that is such a success because I feel like not many authors can do that, and Jeff knows how to do that. And um, he's just so good, especially with fantasy. And I am, I am, I'm so excited. Absolutely, absolutely, excellent work on that, sir. And next up, we have horror, which we're getting close to October. All right, we have horror, <laughs> and our first story is *The Last Sign* by Don DeBrawl. I got giddy. I won't even lie, um, <laughs> because Don graced us with a cannibal story, and I love cannibal stories. So I loved every second of it. Amazing, delightfully gross and disgusting, but also fascinating. And it was very original. And I feel like it's hard to be super original with cannibal stories because. How does it end? Exactly. Like you can. <laughs> I mean, you know, even like like. It's it's you can only go so many directions with a with a cannibal story, and Dawn kind of just knocked it out of the knocked it out of the water, out of the field, whatever the saying is. Uh, and, but I'm always I'm I'm such an advocate for Dawn's work, so I'm a little biased. I know that, um, but I love it when she kind of like stretches into these new territories because we are never getting repetition from Dawn ever. 
it is always something new. Yeah. And she seems like she's got something fresh underneath that bed stock every every every, every issue. issue. And not to not to like keep Dawn on this pedestal, but yeah, it's always some putting the pressure on. Buddy. I know it's it's always so worth it because it's like, ooh, what are we gonna get this month? But yeah, I would I would love to like get a peek inside Dawn's mind because I bet it's a really like cool but also scary in the best of ways in the creative sense, a uh, place to be. So I thought it was just a, a great story that like teeters on fantasy. But isn't, you know, and that's how Dawn always works. I love it. Okay. Yeah, I, I really enjoy this dystopian future take on there. Thank you very much, Dawn. All right. And then we have Penance Part 2. What in the fresh hell is this? By Stephanie J. Barty. So I have a love-hate relationship with lore regarding Roanoke because of American Horror Story. Um, <laughs> that was... A wild season for me. Anyway, so sorry, Stephanie, that like my brain went to that. But on the other hand, I'm also very excited because all of a sudden that like love-hate relationship has kind of morphed into a love because I'm very, very eager to see where Stephanie guides us throughout this lore and how the past meets present in this sense, especially in an area that has so much history, um, I think it's going to be so much fun to to weave through all of this. And I think presenting us with this ancient being that, you know, we're still learning about, who's a, a awakening in the present, is there's so much room for entertaining concepts and storylines yeah one part about that story i really enjoyed was the depiction in which if you were to take her creature and eat a piece of the creature like a piece of the flesh then it would create another one of the original monsters like the werewolf mm -hmm. or the vampire i really that lore that. is super super cool and really well thought out i really like that idea so I I'm I'm super excited, especially to learn more about you know it, the 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 story's names or title uh, right. penance. You know how we're going to explore that. Um, right. I think we're gonna have to get into the right mindset for that score right there. Oh, that's gonna be I fun. <laughs> I think I'll uh, start with a harpist chord. Yes, um, I'm here for it. Absolutely, but yeah, that was an overall great addition to the entire story. Excellent work as usual, Steph. Thank you very much. Beautiful. All right, next up is action and suspense. And the first story is The Kingfisher Part 1 by Walter G. Esselman. You know, you always got a good start. Like, you always know something's going to be going, like, right when you have a... It's almost like a memory bank. Like, so he has... He starts off with the memory bank of of this vigilante hero who is unaware that he's a vigilante hero, <laughs> and that's always that. that's always a good sign when you have a character who is questioning their own existence. Reality, yeah. yeah. So that part, I'm just gonna put that up before and beforehand. Excellent on that. Yeah. The the I love how it's you you worded it really well with that like not even being aware. That he's a vigilante or superhero, whatever you want to call him, and and 
so it, it it makes it really fun because it's it's like an origin story, um, and it 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 read and felt like a graphic novel because the imagery was so striking, right. and so you're it's it's like playing a first person shooter game right. where it's like you you are in this the the this vigilante's present mind, you know, and right. I think. Um, how Walter presented it, how we're just as confused as the narrator, uh, seeing everything as he is, sometimes writing from a per- first-person narrative and and maintaining that mystery, that shroud of, of, I guess you could say ignorance, of not knowing what is and what isn't without the accidental inclusion of, you know, the the God's eye. It, 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 I can't even explain how well Walter did it. And I just, I think it was really, really perfectly and beautifully presented and narrated. And I just thought it was, it was a really awesome take on what I imagine is panning out to be like a superhero-esque tale. Excellent work on that, sir. I can't wait for the next part. All right. And our next piece, No Fun in Fun by Glenn Bresciani. Bresciani. I am a huge I am a huge fan of Glenn's voice. There is a dryness to his humor and satire that like it just leaves me so satisfied and, and giddy. I'm gonna say it, please, please don't attack me. Uh, it was a fun story. <laughs> and I think most everybody within the workforce uh, in in life, in reality, has a, encountered situations like these. And, and like I said, not even the workforce, just like school. Uh, there is nothing worse than being reminded of crazy hair day, crazy sock day, dress up like a superhero, dress up like an old person. Uh, these stupid days, spirit days in school are more stress than they are fun. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I (laughs) love Glenn's work and it's refreshing and it just always like leaves me tickled and it was just the funnest of the funny and fun. And did I mention it was fun? I love it. Said best. (laughs) Thank you very much, sir. And jumping over to science fiction, and our first story is The Perfect Score by James Rumpel. Interestingly enough, and I didn't read more into it, so this is probably useless to bring up, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I actually saw, like, a from a, a scientific engineering website, again, take it with a grain of salt, that within, like, the next 20 years, uh, we're actually going to be able to just, uh, like like click in data into our brains. I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, not sure. Take it with a grain of salt. Could just be a conspiracy theory. I don't know. The 5G, who knows? Anyway, (laughs) I thought this was a very interesting concept and not to also just throw James up on a a pedestal, uh, but I, I never anticipate anything less than what James puts forth. You know, there is always something new. And this one was just, like, dark and terrifying. But it led us to a really 
brilliant and poignant and and touching ending you know and it it just it warmed my soul I thought it was just a really really cool beautiful story you know uh, I think what James does so powerfully too especially in this piece is the fact that the, the science fiction aspects aren't the stars of his story you know they're they're it's the heart and the humanity that is the star in the science fiction environment and I think that's that's a great success and I feel like if if like Black Mirror kind of turned itself on its head with stories of of like hope (laughs) as opposed to the bleakness and don't get me wrong I love Black Mirror I'm a huge huge fan of of the the anthology but (laughs) it is very bleak so I think like if if they did like the total opposite you know of what they usually present we would have like a collection of James Rumpel's work on display with just this like heart behind it you know i just i just thought it was a really great great story i thoroughly enjoyed it absolutely um i thought it was going to take a little different turn when he was starting to set it up but i'm glad it uh, worked out the way it did excellent work on that sir and now on to humor and our first story is Hunting Bunnies by Steve Carr. I don't know if fun is the right word, but I don't think it's the wrong word either. There was a, like, a whimsy to this piece. And it, it, it even kind of lending that whimsy to the darkness of this piece. And there's a moment that I had to pause and wonder if this is, like, some kind of um, psychosis, you know? Uh, It kind of made me think of that movie. Do you remember that movie Bug Mm -hmm. with Ashley Judd and uh, King Michael Shannon? Right. It it just so, like, and that was a dark, dark, bleak, bleak movie that really, like, traumatized me. But, um, so I don't mean anything negative by that. I just mean in the the sense that if you've seen it, it's about this, essentially, the psychosis where these people think there is an infestation of something. Um, Anyway... I really enjoyed it and couldn't wait to see how it was going to, like, wrap up. And I thoroughly enjoyed that ending, as dark as it was. (laughs) And also a great example of why I am a huge advocate for aquamation over cremation. Because uh, that's just a pain in the butt. And aquamation is not so brutal and messy. Uh, It's a great work, Steve. (laughs) Thank you very much. If you you ever want to talk to me more about Aquamation, I am more than happy. Excellent work on that, sir. Thank you very much. And next up we have 1011 by Timothy Law. I feel, and maybe I'm jealous, but I feel like this was just world of myth fan fiction in the best of ways. And I was cackling the whole way through Tim is the master of genres. He can traverse all the genres. I don't care what genre it is. I will eat it up. Uh, And this one just felt so like, sorry, I'm repeating myself. It was fun. It was just funny and goofy. And if I'm not mistaken, a throwback to 
uh, some classic world of myth shenanigans <laughs> and occurrences. And so I love it, Tim. It had me giggling the whole duration. And uh, again, I'm a little I'm a little jealous. Go ahead, write some fan fiction about about <laughs> the world of Mythbits podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, just it was a funny, funny piece. I liked it a lot. It's almost like he's a fly on the wall in there, huh? <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. And now jumping over to poetry and our first poem, The Coin by Christopher Bice. What an enjoyable piece and also a little bit of a shift from Christopher's like darker narratives. I just thought this was like really precious and sweet and the flow as always with uh, Mr. Bice's work is so melodic. And uh, I just thought it was a really enigmatic, delightful bit of familial lore. I really enjoyed it. I think it was thinking that what you would say about this one, because as soon as I, you know, connected pieces about it being a leprechaun, I'm like, oh, no, dude. <laughs> there is um, a song, and we actually used some of the song for our uh, wedding vows many years ago and it's called Anything for You by Ludo and I kind of it, it made me think of it so I also like I said if, if it made me think of it so yes there's a, a personal attachment to this piece by uh, Christopher Weiss but it's a great song and uh, it's just it, it, it kind of has that similar vibe to it Good so Ludo. look it up it's a great song thank you very much sir all right, and the next piece, The Void by Kate McDonald. What a great piece about death. And I love pieces exploring death. So automatically, this kind of falls into my favor. It was a beautiful orchestration of the expectations regarding ideas presented throughout, you know, especially modern death cultures, uh, westernized death cultures. And I just thought it was really, really interesting and gorgeous. Said it best, Mom. Thank you very much. All right. Next piece, The Seven Sleepers by Linda Imblar. I am not, uh, I'm not one particular familiar with The Seven Sleepers. I honestly had to look this up from what I can imagine. It is a very accurate poem on The Seven Sleepers. Come hither, demons. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, I always think it's fun to kind of, kind of, have these nods to biblical biblical lore. So I thought it was it was an interesting piece for sure. Thank you very much. And our next piece, Wish Upon a Sunrise by Anne Christine Tabaka. As usual, I feel like Anne kind of she has this narrative that is such a subtle way of of relating to in this very fantastical realm. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of one of my first loves, literary loves, uh, Francesca Leah Block, the way she kind of presents this, this darkness in this very, I don't know how to explain it. Like if you can see my brain and how it works when I, when I am reading uh, Anne's work, it makes so much more sense. And I hate that I cannot put it into words. Point is, there's, there's always this like mysticism to her work that it, it kind of just eats into your soul in this way that you're not thinking about it, but you feel it. Does that make any semblance of sense? I hope it does. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This one definitely had nice imagery on it. Thank you very much. 
All right. And next piece, Wallflowers by Jeff R. Young. I always love Jeff's uh, diving into the intimacies of like purity regarding love. He does a really beautiful job of relaying these experiences in a way that is drenched in uh, peace and reverie and there's there's always such a payoff and like being a part of that audience and just absolutely beautiful absolutely gorgeous uh definitely a very calming work of art oh yeah definitely um as soon as that romance section opens up in the magazine this dude is going to oh yeah dominate my man thank you very much sir all right, and the next piece, On an Icy Planet Far, Far Away by John Gray. Excellent. This is an excellent poem about homesickness in a very astronomical way. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Well, yeah, and I like how John kind of throws these these um, distant realities at us in a way that it, it kind of takes a minute to catch up to uh, because... You first start reading it, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and then by the time you reach the end, you're like, Austin, his work is a beautiful existential crisis, I think. A beautiful one. Can that be a thing? Is that an oxymoron? An icy one. <laughs> an icy, a, a chilly, oh, I would give anything for a chilly existential crisis. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting work. Excellent work, sir. All right. Next piece, Earth, Air, Fire, Water. No, you need to say it with me. We gotta go. Okay, let's do it. One, two, three. Earth, Earth air, fire, water. water. <laughs> Nothing happened. I had to have my 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 craft moment. Nothing okay. happened. Earth, air, fire, water by Stephanie J. Barty. Oh, you always oh, saying that. Oh, you say you're sorry. You're sorry. You're sorry. He's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That was actually a really good impression. All right. So, as usually, as usual, uh, Steph knows how to uh, do these beautiful homages, homages to natural life and uh, Mother Earth, so to speak. And uh, the correlations between that belief system, wink, wink, uh, <laughs> is... I don't know, Stephanie just knows how to translate it in a way that a lot like like Anne's work, it just you feel it more than you think it, you know, and I, I think this is a, a beautiful example of that. It's just a really, really oh, kind right. of piece. Right. It's a great use of energies to showcase the human experience on this one. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And our final poem, The Prophecy of Andropal by Timothy Law. So, again, I reiterate what I said about about Tim before, is how he can traverse these genres in a powerful way. And uh, this is a pristine example of how he has been able to take this uh, lore, word of the month apparently, lore um, of his stories and deliver this haunting piece of correlation with his work you know and I just I thought it was a really cool 
a cool way to integrate the writing style of the Petra stories and, and that whole world. Absolutely. And, and you know, enveloping it in this this beautiful piece of, of just really, like, doing such a unique thing with it. It just it was really cool. Right. Especially, like, when you start creating, like, little details, little, little things for, mm-hmm. your, for your entire world. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, this sir. entire history. Super cool. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. And now we will be moving on to art. And our first piece, Beanie Boo by Zoe M. Montoya. Uh, Beanie Boo. I just like saying that. Uh, Beanie Boo is so cute. Those little rosy cheeks and those little tiny baby pink ears. I'm in love. It's just so, so, so cute, Zoe. And also, uh, I really appreciate the work on the shading as opposed to like using the same tonal value all around. You did the smart thing and you kind of played with those values to really give it that dimension and very smart, smart thinking and uh, makes it really pop. Absolutely. That's cute little beanie boo there, buddy. It's a fun. It's fun to say. That's a little squishy boy. Beanie boo. A little little squishy boy. (laughs) Thank you very much, Zoe. All right. You're going to have to say this because I may um, butcher this and I don't want to be disrespectful. I think that Shishu, now if I remember right, this uh, the the last name might be U- Uchiha. I think if I remember correctly, I don't know. It's been quite Shishui. No, which I'm not quite sure if he's related, but I remember that um that certain last name is a certain character, and it could be the same in the family. But that character had these like special eyes that could. Uh, uh, they did something with chakra. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Although this is great artwork. <laughs> I know. I I I hate that I'm so ignorant on a lot of popular anime, and I I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice as well as serious by you know, it it sucks. Like I hate that I'm I'm ignorant on it, but. To judge the artwork, it is so clean, and it is always my favorite part of seeing Sirius's work. Um, and I know I comment it on every month, but that cleanliness is heart-stopping, and I love it. The details of the sword hilt, the metal, the stitches on the fabric, everything is is really, really beautiful and easy to look at you know it's just a satisfying piece absolutely excellent work sir all right grim by eric rivera i am never let down by eric's work uh i love this one so much the the metal of the blade i thought it was really interesting how he tackled it you know to kind of do that more uh circular shading as opposed to very linear right uh gradation i thought that was really interesting because it 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 just it kind of adds something new to something that you expect to see oh absolutely you know um the folds in the fabric um again i'll reiterate i hate fabric it's a pain and (laughs) this is so beautifully legible yeah and i know the Grim Reaper shouldn't, but that fabric looks really pillowy soft and I would love to snuggle it. Uh, even even the detail of the little rodent 
rodent fella on the shoulder was very nice. Uh, yeah, just not to mention the background and, and the clouds. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So 10 out of 10. Absolutely. My man does not disappoint. Thank you very much, sir. Next one. Huh. By Ed Bickford. Uh, gorgeous inked piece. I can never shut up about Ed's palettes because he has such a keen eye on his color stories. I love this piece and everything that is, like, suggestive about it. The tubes and the scales and all those, like, implied textures. Right. They are stunning. And it's, it's acro- like, across the board, everywhere you look, there is 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 some kind of meal for your eye. Um and speaking of which, the the little eye that we have in there, it's that that's just so barely visible. I don't know why. My, I just kept looking at it. It's so gorgeous the way he did that. So just beautiful anatomy, beautiful everything. Love it, love it, love it. Absolutely. I really enjoy that mask on there. Thank you very much, sir. Next up, Daydreaming by Boriana Ananiva. Um, my notes is just like, wow, 50 times over and over again. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I am in absolute awe of this piece. There is so much innocence and such a dark, like, a, I guess you could say sweetness that, that shines through this piece. And I always adore when artists are able to manipulate skin uh, tone pellets because it's hard. It is really hard um, to do it well and to maintain that legibility. It's really easy to make it really muddy or to make it look uh, just just bad. But Boreana did phenomenal. And as always with Boreana's work, the, the eyes, oh my god, those eyes are stunning. I love it. It's, it's probably one of my favorites of Boreana so far that I have seen. I love this piece so much. Absolutely. That's beautiful work as always. Looks like a digital masterpiece right there. Thank you very much. All right. Pumpkin Spice by Rebecca Illich. Is it Illich or Illich? Let me know. Um, all right. Cute, witchy, baby, adorable. Love it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this is another episode where I stand up on my soapbox about palettes. I guess it's the palette episode uh, because I am also a huge fan of a good purple and orange palette. It's super cute. And this harkens back to pixel art for me. And I don't know if anybody else was ever really into it, but my friend Jules actually sent me a video about it from like back uh, back in the day the whole quote-unquote dolling community that Jules introduced me in, uh, introduced me to, and that's where I kind of got my start with, with within the art world. And it was, you you would have uh, bases that people would create in pixel form, and they were, I mean, you had everything across so many different styles, and it was always really cool. And then you would decorate them, you would uh, adorn them, some you could change, others people had rules about not changing, it was a whole thing. Um, I still, I have like CDs filled with all of my pixel art. Anyway, I don't know why, it's just this piece really brought me back to that. And so yeah, I just thought it was a really adorable, great piece. Absolutely. Looks like somebody else is also ready for Halloween. <laughs> I think I think we are. It's a, Rebecca and I are yeah, like of the same mind. <laughs> yeah, those those palettes are pretty amazing. Thank you very much. 
And finally, The Kingfisher by Walter G. Esselman. I love me some art tie-ins. The the graphicness of this piece is really cool, and I don't know how intentional it was, and maybe I'm completely ignorant. Please feel free to correct me. I, please, like, t- tell me. Uh, but you can really see the inspiration of tra- traditional Japanese art in this piece. The palette, everything. It's the shape, everything. It's very, very uh, graphic in that traditional Japanese style. It's just super cool and super fun and super sleek and dynamic and it really defines its own tone. You know? Absolutely. It's a little interesting um, because Walter's interpretation of this character had a little different vision in my own mind. But I'm glad that these came together because he has a little bit of Japanese influence. The little samurai Jack dusting over that thing. Okay, so you got it too, yeah, right? So I, okay. I thought that was very interesting. So that really piques the interest on his story. Excellent work on that, Walter. Thank you very much, sir. That is going to take us into the review section. First up, we got the movie review of Cruella by our own Jenna Sparks. She gives an in-depth detail of the movie Cruella. However, I would like to point out one particular scene in that entire film that was my particular fave. I called. I, I had to to bring up this scene in the the review, but yeah, is not as intense as you. I want to be your dog. <laughs> right scene that they have the runway, and Joel comes out on the Joel guitar, Fry. right. Joel Fry. Right, Joel Fry comes out on the stage to begin with, and he's strumming the guitar, and then uh, she has her models come out. It was just a good nod and interesting take that they feel that Cruella would be so punk rock, you know, at that stage in her life. Her entire character was punk rock, though, through the entire movie, if you, like, really think about that scene. Well, she was just, like, she was, she was, she was essentially, quote-unquote, like, born a a rebel. Right. You know, and, I mean, I, that review, honestly, that took me a long time to really condense, because I could have made it easily, like, double the size. That's how much I love the film, how much I love everything, um, and, and I... I love the every nod to everything, especially the fashion industry, especially within the 70s. So cool. So fun. So smart. I loved the nods to Vivian Westwood, to I could just go on. So I'm going to shut up now so I don't uh, take up any more time talking about Cruella. Watch out. Just read the review. <laughs> I was a little skeptical myself about the uh, villain portrayal like origin stories that they have uh, decided to jump on. However, this one was excellent. And Joe does not, most movies I show you, you don't love. You're kind of like, oh, I I don't know what to do with this in my head now. (laughs) Take the information, check. Yeah. Next box. But uh, yeah, it is definitely worth a view on that. Uh, Thank you very much. After that, we have the review of Pierce Brown's Red Rising by Michael A. Arnold. I am very glad that Michael had mentioned in the opening paragraph because it sounded like this video game I played a while back. 
Then, luckily, Michael posted the name, Red Faction, because <laughs> I had was reading through the first paragraph and was like, huh, you know what? This takes me back. I am glad that he are on the same length, wavelength as that. Which is weird because you completely accidentally spoiled Resident Evil 4 for me. Mm -hmm. And you haven't played that game since, what, 2005? That is 16 years ago, sir. And you remembered that. No, it's weird, right? It's weird, like, how I remember those video <laughs> games from that period in time. And I'm like, I love that video Half-Life? You know, remember that video game Half-Life, Michael? Huh? Remember? Nod it over, bud. Ehu uh, in Michael Fashion, he breaks the story down with historical influence about this Red Rising. So I'll go give that a look-see, and please get back to me on Half-Life. Thanks, sir. After that, we have the video game review of Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown, by Jeff R. Young. This one looks like an interesting flight sim fighting game. So if you are interested in... Was this the one that uh, Mark Hamill did a voice in? I am not sure. Did not have that in the review. Sorry. Anywho, thank you very much for the review, sir. Go give it a look-see if you are interested in flight sims. Or it's not exactly a flight sim 100%, but... Near enough. Go give that. Give, go give a look-see. After that, we have the art review of Andy Warhol's 25 Marylands by Michael A. Arnold. In this review, Arnold breaks down this postmodern piece and some delicious details behind the history and theory behind pop and postmodern art, as usual. Thank you very much, sir. Always informational. You know, Michael's articles are always a little tip-tap on the old intellectual mm -hmm. pokey-poke. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. After that, we have the Board of Minutes, where you can go and see what we get up to in the meeting hall around... The round table or rectangle table. It has not yet been decided. So give that look-see over if you are interested. And there we have it. The review episode with Abducted tacked on the front right there. Once again, I would like to thank everybody for their participation in the magazine, for their stories, their works of art, their livelihoods put upon this internet page of ours. If you have any comments or questions or anything about Abducted or the review or just in general, you can reach me at joemsparks at jazomodcast.com. So please let me know. And I would like once again to thank everybody in the cast and crew of Abducted. And I am very excited for Penance from Stephanie J. Barty on next month's review so, if you like what you hear, please get those pens or pencils, or I'm guessing <laughs> now it's all computer. So, get the home row ready, I guess. <laughs> or, unless you're like me, get the chicken... The, the, the jabbing chi finger. The chicken peck ready right there. <laughs> Angrily chicken peck that keyboard. And, uh... Next week, Jenna will talk about the new uh, keyboard she bought for an iPad... And uh, how it gave her a panic attack because she can't fit her fat hands on the home row. So that will be the next episode of the World of Myth. This podcast. is where Chicken Peck is king now. <laughs> I can't help it. Mavis Beacon teaches typing with my best friend in school. <laughs> Mastered that program. Dude, remember I had in my computer class in my sixth grade elective, 
I had signed up for a computer class. And all we did was, this is probably why I don't use it, because all we did was home row on a piece of paper. It wasn't even a keyboard. Oh, that's weird. Right? It was a piece of paper. I'm like, yo, this is this is something else. It was something else. Yeah, I can see how that would be uh, mildly averting for you. To so, <laughs> say no to home row. Okay. You're just such an aggressive <laughs> typer, man. <laughs> all right, guys. You can find us online at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and the Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and also on Instagram the World of Myth Bits. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.